What up, guys? It is Scoobert Dubert. I want to talk to you guys about analog versus digital in this solo pod. We'll be having some more guests on pretty soon. But until then, I want to set up some of the conversations that I want to have. Um, got a guy that we're going to talk with who's kind of a tape expert. But to set up, to tee up that conversation, I think it's important to talk about what makes something analog, what makes something digital, and why is music starting to sound, and by starting I mean like the last like 10 years, so much better. So to start, analog, 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 analog. So when you listen to like classic records, let's take Beatles. Going back to the 60s, you know, 62 years ago, right? 1960. So when you're listening to um, records made around then, you're hearing everything is analog. You've got stuff flowing onto analog circuits that are amplifying it, and then it is running into an analog board where you're, you are compressing it and adding equalization, and you to create the reverb, you are putting it into a physical room called an echo chamber. Basically, what you're doing is you're taking the input from like this microphone, say, for example. You are amplifying that, making it louder, cutting off the highest peaks, which is compression, so it's, it becomes a more stable audio sound. And then sending that into a speaker, which is in a echo chamber. And then those echo chambers has another microphone. And then you blend in those two signals to create that, that ambiance, that sense of reverb. So all of this is happening in analog circuitry. And so there's this concept called color that each of these bits of gear is imparting. And one of the things that I think people like get too hung up on is the idea of one thing's color. It is all additive. So like think, for example, like an Instagram filter, like you run something into an Instagram filter and it gives it that saturation or that extra color to it. So it hypes up that image. Let's say, for example, each of these analog circuits is another filter. And, you know, some of them are as extreme as the most extreme, terrible Instagram filters circa 2011. Um, and some of them are really, really subtle and clean. They don't have a ton of color. They're more clean. But everything analog has some amount of change to the signal. In the same way that if you choose a different microphone, my voice would sound radically different right now. It's still my voice. It's, you know, but there are, you can think of a microphone like uh, another ear, right? The, the microphone is the ear to the entire recording studio that then goes back out to your ear through a speaker that also colors the sound. So you have all of these layers, all of these things that are coloring it. And the twist where you go from this analog world where it's not ones and zeros, and then you move it into the digital world, you end up losing a lot of color, which at first I think was a really bad thing, is that you took something that was like known um, very musical, very colorful, very interesting. And then you flattened it. And it's like the difference between a perfect curve and a bunch of points that create the impression of a perfect curve. In other words, it would be like, you know, switching from a film camera to early digital camera. There's just this like loss of vibe. Um, 
because there it's more sterile and you're you're taking something that is like analog in the acoustical sense and you are flattening it into mathematics i mean everything kind of is but like this ones and zeros is now a imperfect replication of this thing but imperfect in the sense of reduction rather than in the sense of addition so when i run a vocal through an analog preamp it is adding all of this interesting stuff and when i put it into a perfectly digital it is just trying to completely replicate it like copy paste the beauty of what we're at now is that there have been a lot of really great advancements in you know computers and programming but also the way that we think about stuff that has allowed the digital to instead of it being like this sterile um, flat non-colorful thing Instead, it allows it to basically um, be a perfect starting point in the same way that like you can picture a um, white room. Originally, we would just put out that white room, and that's why I think a lot of music in the early digital era, even music like like 2006 and stuff like that, a lot of it doesn't sound very good. And some of the stuff that does sound good, they were you know, using analog stuff. And so that created a, a perception that digital can never live up to analog. But in reality, it's just isolating what is the difference between a digital signal and an analog signal, and then applying some of that difference to the clean signal. And it's not a, you know, one thing is missing kind of argument. Because what people used to do is they used to go, oh, it's because we stopped using tape. And so if all we do is we record everything digital and then bounce it all onto tape before we release it, it'll give it that analog punch. That's sort of true, but really what's going on is it's the additive approach of all of these different bits of analog gear that creates that impression of warmth and sound and color and interest and grittiness, you know, that distortion, the difference between a digital clip kind of distortion harsh and the musical warm analog distortion of low rich mids like think of it like a solid state amplifier versus a tube amplifier for a guitar at least what they used to be what we've changed now is that now we've gotten pretty pretty good at modeling that sense of color and not just modeling it in the sense of like we're going to take our digital session and bounce it down to a analog tape it's saying i am currently running into my SM7B microphone, you know, standard, normal microphone, podcasting microphone, uh, indie pop microphone. And it's running into a interface that is converting the analog signal that's coming out of the microphone into the digital signal that goes into my computer. But as soon as that happens, it hits a digital preamp. That is the amplifier that is going to take that signal and make it louder before it goes into my computer and goes into the other effects. But that preamp, that though it's digital, is a analog modeled preamp. And what that means is it's taken the analog preamp and it's basically run a pure sound wave into it at a bunch of different levels. And then it, it looks at, okay, what is the input and what is the output? So if the input is a perfect sound wave, a sine wave, and then the output is jagged or interesting or colorful, all you have to do is subtract the input from the output and you create this delta, this change between what you fed into that little piece of gear and what you got out of it. 
And when you fully understand that change, which is hard because, you know, all of this gear kind of like lives and breathes, it reacts to dynamics, it reacts to different sorts of inputs. So you have to do a lot of modeling. But once you figure out that model, you can now apply it to a digital source. So if I, you know, put into the digital source 010101, and normally I would get back out 010101, but because it's being colored by the model, that delta, that change that we saw from the analog preamp, it'd be 010100 or something, you know? And that little tweak is enough to trick our ears into thinking, hey, that was recorded on a preamp that cost $3,000. Like, no, it was a bit of software that cost 100, you know? And the trick was doing that over and over and over again to all of the different parts of the signal chain. So not only do I have a analog modeled digital preamp, I do the same thing for a compressor and for all of the distortion effects and saturation effects, all the things that I love. And I like to think of mixes, as I was talking in the mixing workshop, like very holistically. And what that means for me is that it, it's not about one bit of gear. It's not about one plugin. It's the additive effect of running it into a bunch of colorful things in a very specific order and running multiple things into these colorful things. Because like I was saying, this stuff has become modeled so well that now it reacts in the same way. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've got this one really cool um, bit of gear called Black Box. Uh, it's Plugin Alliance makes it. It's uh, Brainworks. Awesome uh, saturator. And it kind of is, feels like a tube um, amplifier, like I was talking about solid state, which is digital versus tube. Old school, 19, you know, like post-World War II kind of technology. Um, but, you know, super popular in the 60s for recording. Um, I'm able to put this thing on everything, including the voice that you're hearing right now. It's got a little bit of black box on it because it warms up the entire signal and it gives it that sense of, you know, musical distortion and saturation. But the real secret to it is when you start running like bass and drums into it at the same time, because it's been modeled so well, it can, it can like react differently to a bunch of things going into it rather than just one thing going into it and all of the transients and the ways that it you know attacks that um, little bit of gear is now good enough to react and so it, it was it's twofold really the reason why like music is starting in my opinion to sound way better is that we have changed our mentality so changing from like analog to digital as being like two separate worlds to thinking of them as kind of one interacting thing that um, flows. It's not just one magic bullet of gear. It's that mentality that we also changed our capability where this stuff can rock now. It sounds really, really good. And there, there are a lot of like awesome taste test things where you'll, they'll, you know, the, these good plug-in companies will show, you know, A and B, like, you know, Pepsi and Coke, where you listen to one, you listen to the other, and they say, this is a $10,000 piece of gear that breaks down every four days, and this is our bit of software that is $100, and you'll be able to use it every day for the rest of your life. It's kind of magical, but it, it took like that breakdown, and it took like the, the, the shift in, in taste and also in capability to allow for that to happen. So what exactly is happening? Um, all this audio stuff has to happen really, really fast. So I, I've done a little bit of audio um, app development. 
I'm not very good at it. That's why it's not my career, but it's like, you know, it's something that I like to poke around in and, and it's good to understand the tools that you're using, right? Like that's, it's good to get down and solder some stuff. It's good to open up some, you know, pedals, guitar pedals. And it's also good to like get into your software and understand how your software is made a little bit. So the thing that I was using was um, called Juice, J-U-C-E. And Juice runs on C++, which is a very low-level um, programming language. Low-level, not in the sense of like easy. <laughs> in the sense of it doesn't use a ton of resources to run it. So you might have heard of like Python or some of the other tools that people use to do like machine learning. That's very high-level because basically those you can talk to them more like a normal human being. You can like, you don't have to tell it like every little detail. You can call out these different packages. You can do stuff that makes it easier, you know, sort of easier, but like easier to communicate with the program in a more natural way. The C++ and all that stuff is a lot more difficult because it's not, it's trying to do things very quickly and very efficiently because as audio, you want to be able to play with that effect as you're playing it. And so you don't want to have a lot of latency of the computer processing that sound and spitting it out later. You want it to sound like that analog gear where you play it, it comes right back out, musical and, and colorful. And so one of the things that we use is a Fourier uh, transform or a fast Fourier transform that uh, that's where that delta is being applied to that new sound source. And so it's, it, you know, it's all math, but it's fun math <laughs> because it's, it's analyzing, okay, what, what makes, like you might've, you might've seen some of these guitars that can like, you press a button, it sounds like a sitar. You know, basically what it's doing is it's taking very quickly, it's taking uh, the mathematic representation of the audio that is coming out of your, you know, instrument or whatever, and it is applying some new stuff to it to transform that audio. And it happens so quickly because it's using C++ and these really low-level um, programming languages that you're able to have the impression like it's happening instantly. It's not happening instantly, but it's happening in a matter of milliseconds, fast enough that, you know, if it's within two to five milliseconds, it is passable, more or less. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of like what's going on under the hood is, you know, we're, we're transforming this stuff, but... In order to transform it, we had to turn it into math, and that gave us more flexibility. And it's also kind of fun because it, it takes these mythical, you know, um, bits of gear that I would never have accessibility to, especially my current level as a, you know, home recorder, and it makes it accessible again. And it also, like, makes, it takes away some of the mystique, which I think is a positive thing. I was talking about in the last podcast about how, like, you can get tricked by your eyes. Like I was trying to say like, you're, you know, we're not pilots. We're not like going based on my, my instruments. I need to like, I need to fly with my ears, <laughs> not with my eyes, not with like the knobs. Those can trick me into thinking that things are cooler than they are. And by applying it more in the box, AKA like on the computer, I think it's easier to step away and say like, no, this sounds like crap. Even like I, I've, I've, I've been in big recording studios where like we run through really nice gear and yes, it does make things easier, but it also can trick you easier because you go, Oh, I'm running through like a hundred thousand dollars worth of gear. Of course it sounds good. And then you listen to it the next day and you're like, Oh, it doesn't sound that good. It's the same. It's the same concept as like, have you ever gone to a winery and you try a glass of wine and it sounds, it tastes amazing there. And then you bring back the bottle to your house and you pour it later. And you're like, this tastes like crap because the environment changed and the environment was diluting your senses into thinking that it was cooler than it is. That happens in recording studios all the time. 
And so that's, I think that's part of the advantage of working in a non-ideal space. You know, my bed is within arm's distance. I'm on basically a folding table at, you know, it's like, it's not the best, but I'm focused on music, man. <laughs> like if this sounds bad, there's nothing in my environment that's changing that. And if it sounds good, it will, it, it's going to transcend the environment. It'd be like having the world's best wine, like next to a porta potty or something, you know, it's like that. If, if it holds up in that environment, boy, is it going to hold up in other places rather than vice versa. And that, that's one of the, the perks I think of, you know, get stepping out of those big studios. It's like, you can, you can help resensitize yourself. And then you can also like, hopefully somewhat impartially use the tools that you need to. And you have access to bits of rare, rare gear like Mellotron. You know, this is like a super cool early style synthesizer where every note was another tape deck. You plus, press the, the C key. It's going to play a orchestra recorded on a tape deck playing the note C. And that's how you get like Strawberry Fields Forever. The um, flute tone. That, that, um, that kind of like... Uh, sounds like a piano. It's played like a piano, but it's a bunch of, bunch of flutes. That's a Mellotron. They're brutal because they break down all the time. Because you imagine it's like a it's like a tape deck for every single note. Oh no, one of the tape decks go out. I was like, I guess I can't play in that key anymore. <laughs> um, but now we have digital versions of those Mellotrons, and they sound really good. I use them in my music all the time. And there's no way I could afford to have that $25,000 bit of gear in my bedroom next to me and and pay for all the repairs and stuff like that. But I'm able to have this thing that sounds maybe 75% as good. Then it works all the time. So you give a little bit, but you get a lot. It's the same thing with these awesome, awesome uh, echo chambers that are coming out right now. Universal Audio is just banging them out like uh, Hitsville, Reverb, and Capital Chambers. I'm using them like crazy. I started on um, Koan. So when I started using Capital Chambers and now I got Hitsville, I'm using that on like everything I make. The reason is, is it sounds like I'm in, you know, the Hitsville one is sounds like I'm in Motown, you know, it, it, it's, it's a super characteristic, um, familiar, but nostalgic, but also not super lush sweeping reverb. It feels like a real room and it gives me access to like, feel like I'm recording in a million dollar recording studio, uh, from my desk. And I just pop that on. It uses a ton of computer resources because like, think about what reverb is. It's a million little, um, delay points, you know, like, like a, a delay. Hello, 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 that kind of a thing. But times a bajillion because it's every surface of the wall is what creates the illusion of reverb or the illusion of, of being in a space. So if I can take my input, my clean digital channel, and then apply a million different delays to it, poof, I'm in a new room. I can be in the Taj Mahal. You just apply that um, FFT to it, that little bit of math that changes um, from it subtracts the input from the output and then applies that delta to this new input and poof, I can be anywhere in the world from my desk. That's a, uh, there's a thing called, um, IR reverbs, um, that that's how those work. It's amazing. And they sound great. It sounds like you recorded there. It's magic. And like, yeah, sure. Maybe going there is going to give you a depth of result, but do you really want to like fly out your entire studio and rent out the Taj Mahal to play, or do you want to just throw it on? 
do I need to go book out Motown or do I just use the Hitsville reverb? You know, Hitsville reverb I got for on, on sale for like 120 bucks. And it sounds, I, I bet it would sound better if I went there, but not by much, you know? And that's the difference is every year that we go, that gap closes and that's a brand new plugin. So that's part of it is it sounds really good. The stuff that came out in like 2006, still using some of this technology, but it's just not as robust. I mean, the, it's not just, and it wasn't just computing power, which is obviously like I've got an M1 MacBook Pro now that, you know, that thing flies, M1 Max. But it's not just that. It's also like the way that people approached modeling back then is just different. They're, they they have a greater richness and sense of what they want to achieve now than I think they did then. And I think it's showing. And so I'm, I'm really excited. And I'm also like kind of like a little frustrated by some of these companies that Need, like aren't revisiting their stuff like sound toys i use them all the time but they they need to update their plugins or they need to think differently like there's a there's a company called good hertz that i think is has eclipsed them because they are thinking of the analog in the digital space in a very novel way um, baby audio is kind of like the aberrant audio is probably the number one they're thinking of like what are the modern tools to degrade audio to make things sound worse like they have a, a great new one that i just downloaded that um it, it focuses on like cd sounds and bad early digital which is so hilarious that we've wrapped back around there but like i can put on a plug in and it can make it sound like it's a scratched up cd that i burnt like a hundred times you know it degrades that audio in that way which is another like totally bizarre thrust to this whole thing of like now intentionally bad sounding digital is kind of coming back in vogue, which I'm all I'm here for too. But it, it is that it, that gets cooler when you can control it. And that's part of the reason why I have this like slogan is scuba duber is hi-fi, lo-fi, wi-fi. It's just like trying to think of everything gets cooler when it's in its contrast. When you bright things are cooler when they're next to dark things. Loud things are cooler when they're next to quiet things. Degraded audio is cooler when it's next to really high quality audio. And and lo-fi and the Wi-Fi side is like the futuristic, like super, you know, out there and big and, and confusing, blending all of those things. And so that's what I'm trying to achieve. And I luckily I live in a time where I've got these tools. You know, I, I'd be really frustrated. I, I actually remember because I was in high school, um, you know, making some of this stuff on like logic and whatever and being really frustrated about how far it was from what I wanted to sound like. So the tools just weren't there. Tools are here now and they sound awesome. So I invite you to uh, maybe rethink some of your biases against, against digital or in favor of analog because not not to say that like either one is good or bad they're just different and i like to think of digital now as this like blank canvas that you can paint with all of this color and it has more flexibility than analog and it also kind of removes you from that environmental effect to where you can i think assess it truly for what it is it's music and all these other things are just tools to try to achieve cooler sounding music and why let anything stand in the way of that? If you like what you heard, new podcasts every week and uh, some cool guests coming up. Well, I, I'm really excited to dig into this with some other people that know analog better than I do, you know, because I am 
obviously biased in, in favor of digital um, because I use it every day. I use analog stuff too, but not, not, not that much. You know, I, I've got my tube guitar amp and a few little things, but nothing, nothing serious. So I'm excited to talk to some other people and, and have them tell me why I'm wrong and, and record all of that so that you can hear nice healthy debate analog digital but i think most people are coming around to kind of where i'm at now that digital is so good anyway definitely uh if you're on a podcast platform that lets you like stuff would really appreciate it if you uh rated this pod five stars and um share it with any friends or anything like that we'll have lots of additional information mixing music creation and diy and artificial intelligence and all that stuff we'll we'll be digging into a bunch of stuff this year and uh, if you want to hear some of my stuff go to scubertdubert.pizza www.scubertdubert.pizza and you can hear the music that i make so you can see if i'm full of it <laughs> all right see you next week bye guys oh.